Welcome to another episode of the Granite List Live, where we explore all things related to benefits and human capital. I'm Lee Dill. And I'm Sally Pace. Today, we're talking with Arthur Chapman and Clay McCormick with Reliant Health Partners. Guys, welcome. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for having us. We're glad you're here. There's a lot of talk in the marketplace, in the employee benefits arena, about balance billing, unnecessary billing, duplicative billing. And as our industry moves more towards transparency, groups like yours, like Reliant, you've been doing this for a long time. You all are the pioneers in fair market pricing. You have continuously addressed a need in the marketplace, but I think it's getting a lot more attention these days because of the egregious billing that you've been fighting for so long and the the pushback really, I think, from the general public more so than I would say those in Washington with a cry for transparency and and fighting for the individuals who are paying these bills. So thanks for coming on the show today. We're really excited to talk about who you are and what you do. Let's start at the 30,000 feet. What is Reliant Health Partners? Well, Reliant Health Partners is primarily a claims pricing organization. We price claims where there's no network agreement, no contract. We do this across the country in all 48 contiguous states and sometimes in Alaska and Hawaii. We price the claim based on what we call a fair market pricing protocol. We're looking for what the fair price is for that claim. Not necessarily the price that the payer wants to pay or the provider really wants, but what's a fair price And that's usually a good price and it holds up and it's good for everybody. We have the privilege of knowing a lot about your business model and how you are very different from some of the other solutions in the marketplace with a common goal. Can we talk a little bit about repricing, the repricing model that you guys use and how it is different? Yeah, our model is what we feel 100% different than any competitor out there. We're very unique. We're not looking at Medicare and adding a percentage on top of Medicare to come up with a price. When we price a medical bill, we're actually looking at a variety of factors and references such that a bill across town from one hospital in one part of town versus another hospital in the other across town, they may have the same bills, same codes, they may not be exactly the same price. Their costs are gonna be a lot different, maybe. Their quality may be different. We look at what these providers are getting paid every day from a variety of different payers that are out there, and we come up with what we feel is a fair and profitable price for that individual facility, that provider, and we recommend that amount. And because we do things that way, our pushback is very minute. Our appeal rate has remained at 1% or less for the entire length of our company. started in about 2010, so it's a pretty long track record. Y'all read all the claims, all the out-of-network claims that an employer sends to you, and you find the out-of-network ones, and are you doing the negotiations with the providers, or are you just offering to the employer, to the TPAs, we think this is a fair price, and they do the negotiations? What happens when those are flagged out? We get claim files, typically electronically, from the TPA. That's where the claims come from, usually. Sometimes they come from a clearinghouse directly to us. But but anyway, we get the electronic claim form in, the data in, 
And then we price the claim based on our database, our protocol that we use, and we use a range of data to base our pricing on. We will price the claim, we'll send it back where we got it from, back to the TPA, in a format that they'll understand that will help them populate their EOB. And this will be our recommendation. And they'll pay the claim based on what we ask them to, what we recommend. They'll send typically our contact information along with the claim when they pay it so that if the provider's got questions, they can contact Reliant directly about that claim. And we will explain to them how the claim was priced, what data we used, how that pricing compares to a variety of benchmarks that they'll be familiar with. Quite often, it's their own data. We consider that an appeal when the provider calls us or contacts us in any way. Or if there's a balanced bill, sometimes they will just send a bill to the patient. That can happen. So we take that over and treat that the same way. But all rolled up together, that constitutes about 1% of all claims that we handle. We are very transparent about how we price the claim. And if the provider says that, well, I understand that, I agree with you, your data and everything. However, we don't have a contract and I still want more money. Then we negotiate with them. We get a signed off letter of agreement and send that in to the TPA so that that additional amount can be paid. As I said, that only happens on average 1% of the time. And that's held up for 10 years. We've been in business or 12 years. And, and Arthur, I'll add that our data being our best weapon, we don't typically throw all the data out when we recommend our payment. We throw some. They usually understand why we chose to pay them that amount, the provider would. But if there is pushback, there is a call that 1% of the time. We have so much more data that we can flood them with, show them, absolutely, you take this price even less this many times this week. I mean, this is a fair price. When we send the extra data, usually a multiple page letter explaining why this is a, such a fair price, they about two thirds of the time on those 1% appeals, so about 66% of the, of the appeals, we're able to settle for the original recommended amount just because the data is so strong. And we're actually the negotiators in those cases. Our clients are never the negotiators. They never, all they have to do is pay the bill and push any pushback to us. We'll handle the bill start to finish. And if there is a negotiation, we will get a signed agreement, a sign off where they've agreed to accept this amount as a full and final payment. Data. It'll get you every time, won't it? <laughs> Not every time. It helps. <laughs> yeah, almost every time. Y'all's tagline is fair market pricing. And reference-based pricing is a big word in the industry these days. Can you tell us a little bit about why your model in fair market pricing is better than reference-based pricing? Yeah, well, it goes back to what Clay was saying a moment ago. In reference-based pricing, that term has become known to be using Medicare as the basis for the price and applying a percentage to the top of that, whether it's 20, 30, 40, whatever the percentage over Medicare might be. So that's one data point. We use a variety of uh, data points. And what we really like to see is what are the payments that a medical facility is actually accepting on a regular basis for these claims that we're looking at. There are a lot of people that are paying them, so we collect a lot of data so we can see what other folks are, are paying them. So we pay within a range. We recommend a payment that's in a range of what they're already accepting. And we also can see what they report as their cost in the form of cost-to-charge ratios normally. And so if they've done a good job of that, we'll know that we're pricing it above cost, providing a reasonable margin, and that it's a fair payment. 
we do put human eyes on every claim that comes in. It's not just an algorithm that data in, data out. It's data in, human eyes, and a judgment call is made. Is this an appropriate price based on a variety of these checkpoints that we've talked about? And then we send the claim back out. So I think that's the big difference between us and the reference-based prices. We're not based on a government price, a price that's assigned by a government entity. Yeah, and I think to, to add to that, the biggest fault in traditional reference-based pricing is that Medicare itself is not always a fair price. It just isn't. So doctors take it, the physicians take it, hospitals take it because they have to. That's a large group. It's a big bulk of business. It does help keep the lights on, maybe. But many of those prices are just not fair. And to say, I'm paying you 140% of Medicare, and so that ought to be fair every time across the board, it can't be that way. If you're really looking for to pay somebody what's fair, you have to look at a, a bunch of factors. And if you'll think about it, you'll realize that there are an awful lot of codes out there that there's no Medicare price for. You know, codes that are associated with little children they're not on Medicare. There's no Medicare price for it. And, you know, there are other instances. We don't have that problem. We don't have that void in our data set. We've got prices. we got data on everything. And we've done this for so long now, Lee and Sally, that our database is massive. And we know just from our data from last year what providers have happily accepted for these codes this year and would this year. So we're becoming much more efficient we can do so many more bills with so few people because we have to have the people. We're not a, an algorithm that goes through a computer and gets spit out the other side. It's not all automatic. We actually look at every claim. Arthur's son actually looks at claims. We've got two top claim reviewers and two of our owner's sons are the best we have. They're wonderful, but they actually look at the claims and they going to our data more and more without having to do so much extra work because our database now has gotten built up to where we know what the doctor wants. We know what he's going to be happy with a lot of the time. So it's quick, it's easy, everybody's happy, and the savings are tremendous. We haven't really focused on that. We've focused mostly on this call on physicians getting paid what's fair. So many of these physicians, they, they want to be paid fair. We want to pay them fairly, but we also want to represent adequately the patients and the self-insured employers from not overpaying. So we know there's a great need to reduce the cost to a price that is fair for everybody involved. So we are advocates for who's paying the bill, absolutely. But we just feel that providing a really fair price that's low enough to keep our clients happy, very happy, but also possibly slightly higher to keep the appeal rate down to a very minimum, everything runs smoothly. Uh, we can save a lot more money, but it wouldn't be enough to be worth all the fights and the court battles and the calls and the balance bills and the lawsuits that come out of it. I want to talk about the balance billing as well. Doesn't your company have lower balance bill rates for the end user as opposed to reference-based pricing? Well, our balance, any balance bills that we have, they're included in that 1% of appeals. If there is a balance bill and we try to communicate with the plans so that they get this out to their members so that they know what to do in the event that they do get a balance bill. How do you even recognize a balance bill? You know, people aren't all necessarily really savvy about these healthcare plans and what an EOB is. 
So we send some educating material out to try to help them understand what that is. Am I getting a balance bill? And so when they do, we want that information to flow upwards and come back to us. And then we treat that just like any other appeal that we might get directly from a provider. We go back to the provider and we negotiate, try to get them to understand that the price that we paid was fair and appropriate and that uh, we don't want the patient balance billed. We handle it that way. So it's all rolled up together in that appeal rate, that 1%. Is there a chance that there was a balance bill that was just paid and we never heard about it? It could have happened. But we try to make sure that the members know through the employer organization that, hey, here's what a balance bill looks like and here's what you do. Don't pay it. Just send it up. Reliant will take care of it. I want to shift gears a little bit. We talked a lot about what happens once bills occur after you've gone to a provider. But I'd like to step back a little bit and talk about the network itself, who you're going to go see all these terms in the marketplace, narrow network, out of network, talk about a wrap network. Help us educate our listeners on what the network looks like for you all. Well, we can work in a variety of situations. We can work for the plan through the TPA where there is a primary network. Maybe they've rented the Cigna network. And so they'll be primary and then we'll handle the out of network claims. That's pretty simple. Patient goes to the doctor, turns out they don't accept that primary network, but they still treat the patient and they send the claim in because they've got a benefits card that says send the claim over here to TPA ABC. So they send the claim there anyway, whether it's an in-network or an out-of-network claim. So then we just get those out-of-network claims and we price them. Or it could be that we've replaced the network. There is no network and all of the claims are going to be priced by Reliant. So in that instance, they've got a benefits card still with that same TPA, and they go to the provider, and the provider typically admits them and treats them and uh, sends the claim in just like normal. They collect a copay or whatever the plan design says that they should do, and things proceed as per normal. Once in a while, the provider may say, well, I'm sorry, we're not contracted with you. Who is this? So then they'll call a customer service number that's on the card, and that's typically the TPA's number. TPA's gotten a call like this before. They, they understand how to handle these calls. They'll say, well, listen, we're so-and-so. We pay these claims, and this is how quickly we pay them. And what we'd like you to do is to collect a copay today and treat the patient and send the claim on in, and we'll get it paid. So that typically takes care of that. And that's how that typically works. It's pretty easy to describe our network. Go anywhere you really want. Not every place is going to accept you that way, but most do. And we're going to treat that bill just like we treat any bill. Our system, our plan can be used in lieu of a primary network, contracted network. Many employer groups use it that way. They put together a health plan essentially built around our repricing process and have their TPA, their reinsurance, their PBM, and, and we are the network. So Tim really has been working well. We've got a lot of groups doing that. And I think that's becoming kind of a wave now to use reference-based type pricing in that manner. But once again, groups that dive in and try this, they don't want a lot of turn away headaches, can't get in the doctor. It appears to us that we're much more successful at avoiding those types of issues. So what type of group do y'all tend to work best with? Is it national groups with people scattered all over the country? Smaller groups, larger groups, can you give us a, a little bit of that and some success stories as well, if you've got some? 
Well, most groups are small just by the nature of things. There are more small groups out there by a large number than there are large groups. I think I saw a stat that said most folks get their health care from a private employer or any employer. There are 80% of those folks are in a group that's 99 or less by number, I believe. So most of our groups are small. We have some very large groups. We have some that are 20,000 members, but uh, for the most part, they're small groups. But what we find is when you get right down to it, we're pricing claims one at a time. So it's just claim pricing. And the guy in the big group, when he goes to the provider, the provider doesn't know if he's in a big group or a small group. So it's really an individual transaction, you know, between the payer, the provider, the patient, and, and, and those can be stacked up into groups of 20, or they can be, they can be a part of a group that's 20,000. And it really doesn't make a difference to us. We prefer the 20,000 one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good point there too, to Arthur and I are, we're really, really involved in the sales along with Joe McCormick and some other partners in, in the firm. We love this company. We love pushing it out there to show people what can be done and how well we can do for them. We just get really excited about, especially the small groups. Yeah, I say that in jest about the 20,000. There's just a lot more potential for helping people, which makes our company money, which is great, but we love the small groups. We're one of the only companies that'll accept certain sized groups. Wouldn't you say, Arthur, there's some limits on some of these repricing companies on what size group they'll actually take on. And we put the effort in even with the small. Yeah, what we find is when we get in with a small group, they've been doing something for their health care previously, but what we find is we typically are able to save them money on their overall health care spend. And that's not only just in the access fees that they may have to pay to get into a network and in the claim price, the price that ultimately is paid to satisfy the claim, but you also find that when the reinsurance company, the MGU, looks at the overall plan, they see that we're going to be involved. Typically, they're going to lower their premiums as well. So we help to bend the cost curve downward for these groups, and sometimes that's the difference between making money and not making money, and that's pretty darn important. Absolutely. We've covered two of what I think are the most critical components of how you operate, both on the how the repricing model and how you are able to adjust, not with a fixed price, but really adjust to be fair to everyone. And then also what the network looks like for somebody that partners with you guys. So I think we've given enough, enough to our audience to be interested. If they're ready to learn a little bit more and want to reach out, how could they get in touch with Reliant Health Partners? Well, they could call us or send us an email. We can start off with any kind of discussion, uh, just to answer some more questions that maybe you might have on your mind. What we'd really like to do is talk about an example. If you got a group out there that, that you're concerned with, we'd love to help you analyze that group, show you how we might impact that group from its cost standpoint primarily. They may be having trouble accessing because they've got a very narrow network. We can help maybe with that. So just let's just have that discussion because we find that usually we've got a way that we can help you. And, and it's pretty easy to find us, ReliantHP.com. Uh, go straight to the website. If you're listening, it's uh, C. McCormack at ReliantHP.com or A. Chapman at ReliantHP.com. Uh, email us. We'll get right back to you. We're, we're great with follow-up and, and service. Well, thank you, Clay and Arthur, for spending time with us. Um, we at the Granite List are really proud to showcase Reliant on the platform. 
So please visit thegranitelist.com and visit Reliance profile page. And thanks for joining us for another episode of The Granite List Live. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live. Thank you.